0: This is the Heidi Harris Show podcast. I do this a couple of times a week. You can find these at iTunes or any of the podcast apps, Heidi Harris Show. You can also catch my live radio broadcast five days a week, Monday through Friday, that is, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. at KMZQ in Las Vegas. This week on my live show, I had a couple of guests on about the Syria-Turkey situation and Trump's apparent change of plans, change of direction in Turkey and Syria. My first guest is Robert Spencer. He's from jihadwatch.org, written many books. He's an expert on Islam. You'll get his perspective, and then you'll hear from Lieutenant Colonel Ralph Peters, who is a retired military career intel officer. But we'll kick it off with Robert Spencer. Robert, when you first heard about Trump's plans for Syria and Turkey, what were your first thoughts?
1: I thought, finally, the president is going to get us out of this endless war there and stop committing our troops to this uh, quagmire with no purpose. No, we cannot trust Erdogan and should not, but as the president has said, if he does something that harms our interests, then we will take care of it. Uh, He brought economic pressure on him before to get Pastor Brunson released a Christian pastor whom Erdogan had unjustly imprisoned, and that showed that that tactic worked. The idea that we have to keep our troops in places like Syria, Afghanistan, Iraq, forever, or if we don't, then the jihadis will advance. Well, look, they're going to advance whenever we leave. So are we going to stay there forever? Are we going to make Syria the 51st state? Are we going to commit our troops there to the end of time? Or are we going to formulate some new kind of strategy to deal with the threat that is that is present there? And that's what we need to do, and that's what the president is on the road to doing.
0: Now, there are a lot of people who say that if we pull out now that the Kurds are going to get slaughtered, and then nobody's going to trust us because you and I both know when you go over to any other country in the world and have any kind of uh, military presence, you're going to have to have the people who live there cooperating. You're going to have to have allies there, and a lot of folks say we're turning our backs on the Kurds. What do you say to that?
1: Well, I don't think it's true. Uh, It's just a matter of dealing with this in a more effective way. Uh, The president has said that he will deal with Turkey if Turkey gets out of line. And we can do that without having to have troops on the ground there.
0: We don't have a lot of troops on the ground there, right, from what I understand.
1: Right. So it's really just a token force right now. Uh, As far as I last heard, it's a couple hundred troops. That's that's just cosmetic. That has nothing to do with really stopping Turkey from doing anything that they want to do.
0: Now, what will happen? We're we'll speaking with Robert Spencer from jihadwatch.org. What will happen with the ISIS fighters who are in captivity now? Will they be released? Will they just, I mean, obviously, it's going to help a lot of folks if there's complete pandemonium over there, right?
1: Yeah, uh, ISIS is not dead. And they, the, the, it's a big conundrum as to what to do with them. Here's where I disagree with the Trump administration, which has called upon European states to take them back and uh, try them. I mean, I'm all for trying them, but the problem is that a lot of European states have already taken a lot of these ISIS jihadis back, and they're not trying them. In Britain, there are quite a few of them who are just walking the streets with nobody paying any attention to them at all. Now, that's just a ticking time bomb. Uh, We – uh, need to formulate here, as in the uh, case of the troops in Syria, some more uh, efficient way to deal with these people. And that is, in the first place, certainly not to bring them back to our own countries where they can harm our own citizens. They yeah, we need de- to be kept... What's that now? I was going
0: to say, yeah, so, so you're saying, so, yeah, we don't we don't want to have them here, obviously.
1: Yeah, so they need to be kept in that area. And look, if they're going to... if uh, you don't want to keep them in camps indefinitely, then send them to places like Afghanistan where they can uh, do jihad all they want and just make sure that they don't export
0: it. We're speaking with Robert Spencer from jihadwatch.org. I saw a story, I believe it was on your website yesterday, about a guy who had come into America under false pretenses. He had been in a jihadi camp, and then he wanted to get a flying license. And what amazed me about the story was that apparently they got this guy because they had his fingerprints on an Al Qaeda application. Robert, I had no idea they had applications to work for Al Qaeda.
1: Yeah. yeah, they do. Uh, there was actually a guy, ISIS too, there was a guy from Texas a few years back who was nabbed because his application for ISIS was discovered. And he was saying how he was a experienced school teacher and wanted to teach at an ISIS school. And it all was really kind of uh, uh, straightforward and, and had the veneer of normality.
0: That's In hilarious. The case that you're
1: talking about. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really uh, – I think people don't expect it, certainly, but uh, we can be glad that al-Qaeda had this in this case. This was a guy who had attended an al-Qaeda training camp, and then he immigrated to the U.S. with no trouble. And see, that just underscores the truth of what I'm saying here today, that we can't bring these people in and expect that everything is going to be okay He enrolled in a flight school, and nobody stopped him. Probably they were afraid that if they did stop him, that they would be accused of Islamophobia. But here is somebody from an al-Qaeda training camp attending flight school. Uh, Everything is obviously not on the up and up. It should have raised alarm bells. It didn't. It was only by chance that he was apprehended, and that is a matter of grave concern.
0: That is a huge concern. We don't know how many other people out there are like that. So what do you think the situation with Turkey and Syria now, what, what do you think this could possibly do to national security, for our national security? Because that's, that's really obviously the main thing we should be focused on.
1: Well, see, here, here's the problem. When people talk about the Kurds, I wish the Kurds well. But there are a lot of problems in the world. There are a lot of trouble spots in the world, and there are a lot of oppressed people. And I understand that the Kurds have stood with us, but also we can't have any illusions. Uh, there was a restaurant it was recently shut down after it uh, got a lot of negative publicity, but there was a restaurant called the Hitler Restaurant that was a big hit in Kurd- Iraqi Kurdistan because, well, they love Hitler. And uh, if we think that we're going to have some sort of lasting, stable alliance, with uh, uh, a people like that, we're under uh, uh, false impressions. And the fact is we simply cannot solve everybody's problems in the world and need to think of America first. Now, that means that if the situation between Turkey and Syria and the Kurds becomes something that threatens American interests and national security, then we go in. Otherwise, it's not really our business. And this uh, this is... directly against the idea that america has to be the policeman for the world yes i think that uh, that ultimately will drain all of our resources and commit us to wars that we cannot possibly win and afghanistan is exhibit a there
0: yeah there's no question about that of course some people have argued that if we have to go back in for any reason and we won't get the ally support people who actually live there because of what we've done this time that would be more expensive to go back what do you say to that
1: Uh, This is the the same argument that is always made. It was the same thing that was made in Iraq when Barack Obama withdrew from Iraq. But then when Trump went in to destroy ISIS, uh, which was only a few years after Barack Obama had withdrawn from Iraq, there was no trouble whatsoever in getting allied support. And the ISIS territories were rolled up within a matter of months because of cooperation between Uh, native troops who were against ISIS and American troops. There was no trouble whatsoever. So I I doubt there would be in Syria as well. If the Kurds are serious about surviving, they're not going to cut their nose off to spite their face. If they're really in deep trouble regarding Turkey and America offers to help, they're not going to say, well, we don't want your help because you left before.
0: And isn't it true, Robert, that it ultimately comes down to everybody siding with whoever's got the strength that week?
1: Oh, yeah, sure. And this is why we come back again to my earlier point, that these are not people we can have lasting alliances with. They have a vastly different worldview, vastly different priorities and perspectives. And ultimately, the Islamic religion that teaches that they should have hatred and contempt for unbelievers and not ally with them, the Quran explicitly says, do not take Jews and Christians as your friends and protectors. This is going to militate against any lasting alliance. There are serious Muslims in Kurdistan. And they might enter into an alliance of convenience with the United States, but never into something that is going to be for the long term.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Robert Spencer, JihadWatch.org, his latest book, and I've read pretty much all of them. The latest is History of Jihad, From Muhammad to ISIS. Thank you, Robert. As always, I appreciate your perspective.
1: Pleasure, Heidi. Thank you.
0: That was Robert Spencer from jihadwatch.org. Now I wanted you to hear from Lieutenant Colonel Ralph Peters, who's a retired Army intel officer, also a best-selling author, and an amazing guy who's been a guest on my show many times for about 15 years. Ralph, when you heard about Trump's plans for Turkey, what were your first thoughts? Well, I was shocked.
2: Um, I was shocked at the gravity of it. I was not shocked that Trump did it. I mean, unfortunately... Uh, our president is just, he's like a little boy. He's best friends with whoever he talked to, he's talking to at the moment. And clearly, Erdogan, who's who's a dastardly creature, uh, he's, just a, he's, he's a cartoon villain, Erdogan, but he's clever and he's persuasive. And he clearly somehow persuaded President Trump that uh, we should abandon the Kurds, just pull, pull off and, and let Turkey do what it wants to do. And he probably was making the case, you know, the Turkish position is a. All the Kurds are terrorists. They're all bad people. And and Trump doesn't do his homework. He doesn't know the background. And we've been this down this road before because former Secretary of Defense, Jim Mattis, had resigned over the last time Trump tried to pull support for the Kurds. That's right. And just to be clear, um, the Kurds are, outside of Israel, the Kurds aren't only the best allies we've ever had in the Middle East. I'd say they're the only true allies we've ever had in the Middle East. Um, In the fight against ISIS, of course, the U.S. media made it sound like we were doing everything. We were in support. We we gave the Kurds air support, intelligence support, logistics support. They gave the blood. It was Kurdish infantrymen fighting on the ground. And up to 10,000 Kurds have died over the years fighting alongside of us. but fighting against ISIS, I mean, we did you know the high-tech stuff, but we weren't putting our lives in the line except for a few special operators and noble guys. Uh, the Kurds did it. The, to the extent ISIS is defeated, the Calvets is destroyed. The Kurds take first place when it comes to getting credit. But the Kurds are light infantry, very brave and tough. Uh, the Turks have attack helicopters, jets, heavy artillery, tanks, and as brave as the Kurds are. They do not have the sheer firepower to contest the Turks who, who want to slaughter them. President Erdogan of Turkey wants to slaughter the Kurds who've been fighting for their freedom for a very, very long time. So, And I've worked with the Kurds in Iraq. I, I, I admire them greatly. But I will say this to be fair. On the macro issue of what are we doing in the Middle East, President Trump, while well, he doesn't understand the details, you can make a case for that position that we've been there too long have been we've been used and abused by the locals and we're not getting much out of it my personal feeling uh, is that I would I would continue to protect the Kurds I continue to defend Israel beyond that I have to ask myself if it isn't time to withdraw from the Middle East entirely except for those two cases and here's my reason Heidi in, in the world of strategy, it's, it's really, really tough for bureaucracies, whether diplomatic or military, governmental. It's hard for bureaucracies to recognize when the old grand prize has become the booby prize. The Middle East really mattered after World War II, when the British Empire's influence receded. We were left holding the bag. The oil reserves of the Middle East were crucial to our security, to global development. And you can make a very good case for for being there in the 50s, 60s, 70s, despite the Saudis stabbing us in the back with the oil shocks, and and into the 80s and even the 90s. But now, with oil supplies, oil and gas supplies diversified, with the United States self-sufficient, even though global markets are, of course, intertwined, I would say that you can make a very good case that the Middle East, which was backwater for centuries, had a few decades, some decades in the limelight, that the Middle East is, is reverting to backwater status again, despite the glitz of Dubai and the remaining wealth and oil, that they're, they're going backward, not forward. And the United States is inherently uh, an Atlantic and Pacific power. And again, I think we, we need to have an honest debate about it. But I think you can make a very good case that we should be concentrating our power on the Atlantic and Pacific. Let the Middle East rot. Uh, the Europeans, the Indians, the Chinese need this Middle Eastern oil. We don't. Uh, let them pick up the the um, security ball uh, ball on this one. Let them police the uh, the Red Sea and uh, the Indian Ocean, while we concentrate on what matters to us. Because increasingly, the Middle East, with which we're obsessed. Is, I believe, becoming strategically irrelevant in the 21st century. The, the, the sources of wealth and power remain the transatlantic relationship and the Pacific theater. That's where we had to fight in World War II. Uh, those we're not going to fight in the Atlantic again. I hope not. But the Pacific remains very, very dangerous. And you know, our fleet in the Mediterranean, our ships, uh, you know, our fleets. Um, our ships in the Persian Gulf and the Indian Ocean, uh, maybe it's time for a really deep strategic rethink. But it's very, very hard for it to get military people to do that because they're very comfortable with the way things are going. And you can always find a thousand smaller reasons why you shouldn't do something. Oh, we, you know, we, we put all this money into infrastructure, blah, blah, blah. You've got to stand back sometimes and look at the big picture and say, are we getting anything out of this? Is it worth our blood and treasure to be in the Middle East? We gave the Middle East our best shot. Uh, we gave them a chance at freedom. Uh, now it's up to them. Again, I would obviously still support Israel because it's in the Middle East and not of it. It's part of our civilization, and the Kurds have earned our protection. Other than that, I'm just I I want to I want to talk it through, think it through, have a debate. But my feeling is increasingly that it's time to just. Get out of the Middle East and let it
0: rot. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to a lot of people. Of course, they're concerned about what, as you mentioned, Erdogan, you know, the idea that somebody can just call Donald Trump and get him to pull troops back. And I'm concerned that Erdogan may make all kinds of promises. But the reality is, he's, as you mentioned, he's going to slaughter them. Even there was a story this morning that Turkey's come out on Twitter and said, our plans to invade and drive the Kurds out of the northeast of Syria are completed. I mean, this is exactly what they wanted. Yeah. But to your larger point about why we're even over there, we always have to reevaluate because a lot of people think China is a much bigger threat.
2: Well, it is. I mean, you know, the thing with terrorism, I, I go back to 2001 and 9 11. I never thought it was a great idea to occupy ground. I thought it was a good idea to kill terrorists. And the great mistake we made, the Bush administration made, was trying to turn um, Afghanistan into Nevada and Iraq into Colorado. You, you cannot change people's deep culture. You cannot change religion, you cannot change the deeply ingrained middle frameworks. And um, we gave it our best shot. It, it hasn't worked. There's been some progress, but if you look at Afghanistan today, uh, it's hard to get people to fight for the government. We back. The Taliban has no trouble getting recruits. That should tell you something. So my position on terrorism was always, if necessary, mount a, a temporary punitive expedition. You go kill them, and you come home. And people said at the time, oh, but we'd have to go back. It's much cheaper to go back now and then and kill some more of them than to try to rebuild their entire countries. And so I just feel like we've made so many beginner's errors, so many predictable mistakes, um, that it may just be time to, again, do that strategic rethink and look at you know what really matters to us and what really matters to us is the Atlantic and Pacific
0: theaters. That's where we should be focusing. We're speaking with Ralph Peters. I think it was one of your columns, I'm sure it was, years ago, where you were talking, basically referencing something like Dubai and saying a strip mall, a shopping center, does not a, a society make. A <laughs> it's, civilization. Yes, civilization. And it's so true because I, I, wasn't it true that that was what George Bush wanted to do was try to prove, you know, show them the way and try to improve the entire culture, and that was a huge mistake.
2: Yeah, I think that George Bush himself had noble intentions. He was a good man. Yeah. But he had the same fault that Ulysses S. Grant did as president. He trusted the wrong people, and he trusted them far too long. And the neocons just didn't understand the gravity of what they were trying to do, the, the, the depth. You know, and uh, once we were in Iraq, I, you know, I supported it as long as I could because you want to support the team. But I, you know, there, became, there came a point in which it was evident, evident that um, we we weren't getting it right. Now, terrorism, yeah, I'll fight terrorism anywhere in the world, anytime. I just believe that the, again, I'm repeating myself, but the best way to deal with terrorism is to kill terrorists, wherever you find them. But to try to reconstruct people's societies and the idea that, oh, if they just all have jobs, they won't be terrorists, shows a fundamental misunderstanding of what terrorism is about today. Terrorism today is about fundamental passions, about religious fanaticism, um, about ethnic um, superiority. Uh, it's a very, very grave time, and you know, even after almost two decades of involvement in the greater Middle East and Afghanistan, we're still not honest with ourselves. It's just—it's—it's it's amazing to me. I was thinking about today, I, this morning, I was out and about, and I was just thinking again about how how our counterinsurgency doctrine, the politically correct Petraeus doctrine, was foisted upon people, and you couldn't get anybody to listen to say that this doesn't work, and it didn't work.
0: Well, there you have it, a couple of different viewpoints about the Turkey and Syria situation from people who studied the region for many, many years. That's just a sample of what we do on the Heidi Harris Show Live Every single weekday, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. Don't forget to tune in for that. You can find a link live at HeidiHarris.com. And, of course, you can find these podcasts at iTunes or any place where you can find podcasts, any kind of podcast to app. Don't forget to pick up my new book. It's called Don't Pat Me on the Head. Blowback, Setbacks, and Comebacks in Vegas Radio. It's available at Amazon. I'm Heidi Harris. Until we meet again, remember, you were created for a purpose. <coughs>